Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Mind Love Premium, episode 96. Today's episode is all about healing from toxic relationships. This is a form of grief, and the grief can be much more intense because when you're on that toxic relationship cycle of blow up, reconciliation, build up to a fight, blow up reconciliation. When you're in the fighting phase, your brain and body release adrenaline and cortisol. Cortisol is a stress-producing hormone. And then when you're in the reconciliation phase, then you get dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin. So uh, your brain gets kind of hooked on that loop. So it's almost like an addiction. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means Mind Love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Are you in a toxic relationship? It can be kind of hard to figure out because the word toxic is thrown around so much these days, but I'm going to do a little assessment with you. So get a pen or just take a mental note. Trusted friends and family have told me that this person is not healthy for me to be around. I'm belittled through this person's words and actions. My interactions with this person have put me in a constant state of emotional turmoil. I no longer trust my judgment. I put other people's needs before my own. I blame myself for things that are not my fault. I feel like I'm a shadow of who I used to be. I feel like I'm never good enough. My work has been sabotaged or my devices have been hacked. I spend more time Googling about the situation than taking steps to change it. This person has turned other people against me like my coworkers, friends, or family. This person tells me I'm crazy and will never find someone who loves me. This person tells me mean things that he claims my family and friends have said about me. This person tells me that a lot of people know that I'm crazy. I'm afraid to walk away from the situation. This person has shoved, hit, slapped me, or blocked me from being able to leave. I feel like I'm less than. Since I've known this person, I've had more physical ailments, at least some of which can be attributed to stress or have been exacerbated by it. Going through all these statements can sound kind of extreme. You might be thinking, oh yeah, like half of those don't apply to me, so maybe I'm better than I thought I was. But I hate to break it to you. If you've answered yes to even one of these statements, you might be in a toxic relationship. The sad thing is, if you would have told me this 10 to 15 years ago, I would have thought that these standards were way too high. Like, does a person like that even exist? What I didn't know was that the standards I set for myself were attracting the wrong kinds of people, which is why all my relationships leaned toward toxicity. And don't get me wrong, it was not my fault. If you find yourself in a toxic relationship, it's never your fault. I hate that notion or anything that suggests it. However, 
I personally don't believe that I am ever completely powerless. I'm never completely stuck. I never have zero influence over my situation. That might mean spotting signs earlier, knowing what I deserve in the first place, or finding a way to get out when I do realize that something is wrong. But that's easier said than done, right? Because when you're in it, it is really hard to see. It all sneaks up on you so slowly, like a frog sitting in a pot of water, oblivious that the temperature's rising. So the question is, how did you get there in the first place? How do you convince yourself you deserve better after who knows how long you've been brainwashed to think that you don't? And what are the steps to get out and start to heal? Well, that's what we're talking about today. And our guest is Stephanie Sarkis. She's a psychotherapist specializing in anxiety, gaslighting, narcissistic abuse, and ADHD. And she's the author of eight books and one workbook, including Healing from Toxic Relationships, 10 Essential Steps to Recover from Gaslighting, Narcissism, and Emotional Abuse. So three key things we will learn are how to identify toxic or manipulative people, what to expect when leaving a toxic relationship and how to move on without closure, and how to let go of anger or self-blame after years of mental turmoil. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Stephanie Sarkis to the show. Thank you, Melissa. How are you? I'm doing great. And I'm super excited to dive into this topic because I have been in a toxic relationship, but I am curious, what led you down this path? What inspired your interest to focus on this topic in particular? Well, I think first we've all been in a toxic relationship at some point, whether it was at work or romantic relationship or family members or friends. Uh, but the way that I arrived at this was I first specialized in ADHD and anxiety. And I noticed an uptick in the amount of people that were reporting that their partner was telling them that their version of reality was not the correct version of reality, that what they saw and heard was not what was happening. Um, right around 2015, 2016, then the term gaslighting started being used by the general public. And then I would have people calling in and, and to me and saying, you know, I think I'm being gaslit. Uh, and I think especially uh, millennials and Gen Z, I think, are are aware of, of gaslighting at a different level, especially, I think, due to TikTok. And I think it's been on other forms of social media, there's been much more openness about talking about emotional abuse and gaslighting. And I also found that when you have a, a medical condition, whether that's ADHD or anxiety or depression, or if you're grieving, uh, people that tend to gaslight will target you. Um, they tend to target people who are vulnerable and they will use the person's medical conditions as ammunition. They'll weaponize it. So they'll say things like, oh, well, you have ADHD, so you can't be trusted with money. So you need to turn your accounts over to me. 
or, you know, you don't know that that really happened. It must be your ADHD again, things like that. So I started noticing that uptick and, and I wrote an article for Psychology Today about the 11 warning signs of gaslighting and that went viral and that, that led to the gaslighting book, which led to um, Healing from Toxic Relationships, which is the new book. I feel like these days people are using the words toxic or gaslighting is almost a buzzword. Mm-hmm. It's like it's mm-hmm. like it took off too fast. And the amount of times I mm. see on social media, the words just being used in totally wrong situations mm. is, is frustrating. So why don't we clarify, what does it mean to gaslight and what how can we actually identify toxic people? Sure. I just point out that, that it's important that we are at least talking about it. So whenever we start talking about a new topic, yeah, sometimes the word is used for different things. Um, but I think it's really important that some of the stigma of talking about things like emotional abuse is lessened. Uh, but gaslighting is when you have someone that wants you to rely on their version of reality and they use power and control to do that. So like I said, you know, classic one is what you saw and heard isn't what happened. Gaslighters will hide objects of high sentimental or monetary value and then tell the person, you know, you can't be trusted. You came and hold on to your wedding ring or you came and hold on to this particular piece of jewelry. And they will also use it as a way, like if it's a wedding ring, they'll use it as a way to make a comment about the relationship. Oh, well, if you really cared about our marriage, you wouldn't have lost your ring when in fact the gaslighter is hiding it. Um, You have gaslighters that will say that other people think that this person is crazy and that's done to isolate the person. So if you're told by the gaslighter that your family thinks you're crazy, you are more likely to have fall prey to the gaslighter kind of create their version of reality uh, because you tend to not go to your family and go, hey, I heard you said I was crazy. So you start becoming more and more uh, isolated. You are told that trusted friend and family members have said horrible things about you. The gaslighter will say, you know, you have a right to know what your sister said about you. And it's this horrible thing that the gaslighters made up. But again, we tend to, you know, if it's a partner, we tend to kind of absorb that and maybe not go to the family member because we're upset. They may have said something. And this is a slippery slope. So when you have emotional abuse, which is part of domestic violence, it opens up the avenue to verbal abuse and physical abuse, which increases lethality. Uh, So emotional abuse is seen as kind of this invisible form of abuse, but studies have found that it can be just as detrimental to your well-being as physical abuse, if not more. You had talked about how often toxic people will target people that are emotionally vulnerable in some way. Mm-hmm. How do healthy people end up in toxic relationships? Because I feel like when I ended up in my toxic relationship, I mean, I guess I guess it's a difficult one because on one hand, at the time I thought I was healthy, but now that I look back and I'm able to see all of the pieces of everything, <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. this had just happened to me. I was vulnerable in this way. I also had ADHD. I also had this. Mm-hmm. And so it, it becomes more clear, but I don't think a lot of people uh, n- know like, oh, I'm broken right now, so I'm an easy target. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, anyone is vulnerable to gaslighting. So I think that's the most important thing. That you can even be an expert in this. Like I've worked with mental health counselors, psychologists that have gotten into toxic relationships, or you you are born into a family with toxic parents. So sometimes it's not a choice. So I think it's important to look at again that that no one is immune from from being susceptible to this. Uh, because in the beginning of a toxic relationship, you have the idealization phase. And what that means is that you are treated 
spectacularly well, better than you've probably ever been treated in a relationship. You are put up on a pedestal. Uh, you can do no wrong. Uh, the person may be pressuring you to commit to move in together. They may uh, tell you that, again, that you're the best thing that ever happened. And you're kind of cloud nine because who doesn't like to hear that stuff, right? So your dopamine's you know, increased, your serotonin's increased, and you're like, hey, this is great. And then there's a steep decline. So then there becomes a devaluing phase. Devaluing phase is when the person starts picking at you, starts saying stuff about things you're wearing, about your body type, about where you're going, what you're doing, why are you five minutes late from work? And then it escalates into the third phase is discard, where you may have had a gaslighter that or toxic person that has other romantic relationships rotating through them while they're in a relationship with you. They may do a final discard, which means either you leave or they leave, uh, but usually they will do what's called hoovering. So if they leave you, they will find a way to get back into your life. And this, this applies to romantic relationships, friendships, family, work relationships. Uh, you'll have someone that will treat you terribly, but then as soon as you move on with your life or you decide, you know what, I'm going to go no contact, they will try to find a way to get back in connection with you. They will do it through talking with other people that will say to you, you know, so-and-so misses you so much. They're known as flying monkeys, the people that are sent as messengers because of the the uh, Wicked Witch of the West and Wizard of Oz had monkey messengers. Uh, so they'll tell you, you know, the person misses you so much and how they want you back. And it's really important to say to those people, you know what, this is a no-fly zone. We can't talk about this. We're not going to talk about this person. And it may be that you need to walk away from them if they continue. Sometimes flying monkeys realize they're being flying monkeys and some of them really don't know. And back to um concept of no one is immune. One of the things that is is particularly really difficult to detect are covert narcissists. So we have overt narcissists, which are the ones we usually think of, which are maybe flashy and they're really into status. And um, then you have the covert narcissist who's more self-deprecating. And they may say things like, you know, nope, everybody's out to get me. And, you know, I worked really hard. I don't know why they don't appreciate me. And they may even talk about how pious they are and what good morals they have. But the second you set a boundary or say no, they start acting out. So that's the sneakier kind of narcissist, which can be really difficult to detect. So uh, it may be something that you don't see in the beginning because of the love bombing. It's a very tricky thing. I feel like my situation was almost a combination of those two. When I mm -hmm. first was in the relationship, our very first date, this man gave me a ring worth thousands of dollars that had this huge gemstone on it, took me to this mm -hmm. nice dinner. We were staying at these beautiful resorts. And then phase two... A few weeks in, it was, it was the second, it was, it almost went to covert where he was being a lot more self deprecating in ways like, mm -hmm. no one understands me, blah, blah, blah. So it made our connection right. feel so special. And that was one right. of the big reasons why I had made so many excuses for his behavior because his mm. dad died right when I met him. My dad died okay. years before. And so uh. I, I remember thinking like, I just wish somebody loved me unconditionally when I was spiraling. And so I thought mm. things as him spiraling mm -hmm. and then he's cheating on me and then he's stealing mm -hmm. from me. And it was just so intense. And even again, if you have a life that's pretty pulled together, you can be vulnerable to this because they can be so good at sucking you in. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? 
And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now for another episode of lies we've been told about our health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. Yeah. And you don't even really realize you're sucked in until you're already in it. And then you're like, how did I get here? And then it's so hard to get out. And one of the things that makes it difficult is like, you're used to these, you're like kind of waiting to be, to see if you'll ever go back to that phase one. But then Mm -hmm. at the same time, so you're like holding on to that, but then you're like still trying to be, or I was trying to be his caretaker in a way, not even Mm -hmm. realizing what was happening. But one of the things that I realize in these situations is so difficult for people is to get away from the toxic person or to have zero contact at all. Why is it so hard for people to separate? And is that what they should do? Is that the best route to go? Well, there's a cycle. So you have this phase of idealization, devaluing, discard. And what happens is when you leave and they hoover you back in, um, they will promise you things. They'll do future faking. So if you're in a relationship, they'll say, you know, we'll get married and you know by next year, or we'll go on this this you know fancy vacation in this, you know, this month. And so when you leave and they hoover you back in, they'll say, you know what, I've already booked tickets for this vacation. 
um, you know, I've decided I've already like contacted somebody about where we can get married. So they do stuff like that. They never apologize for their behavior, but they'll promise you the thing that they didn't fulfill when they were with you. But when you get back together with them, they will all of a sudden change up on that. Let's say, well, you know, I did want to get married, but based on your behavior, since we've been back together, I don't want to do that anymore. So they blame you. And I think that's a very normal thing for us to blame ourselves when someone's been treating us well and also they treat us poorly. Uh, one of the first things that people do is they go, what did I do wrong? Because this person was treating me really well and now they're treating me terribly. And then sometimes it's so subtle, it's hard to even catch. So, but I think that's just human nature for us to go, wow, what did I do wrong? Because, you know, I'm still me, but they've changed. So it must be something I did. So people go to Google and look up, you know, sudden change in relationship, or um, they'll talk to their friends or go to a therapist and go, what's going on that all of a sudden something's changed? And the gaslighter will then get to the point where they say, well, if you only did this, then we would be okay. Or they'll start comparing to their ex. They'll say, well, I never had this problem in a relationship before. I never had a problem with, with you know, this person and when I was with them. And that's one of their tactics. And guaranteed, they had the same problems with previous relationships. And so what I tell people is that if you do leave this type of relationship, one of the best things you can do is no go no contact. And that means block phone numbers, block emails, and block social media accounts. Because this type of personality will post things on social media. They're either kind of vague comments about your relationship, like they won't put your name on it, but you know it's alluding to you. Or they will, you know, slide into your DMs and message you there. And they will also go to pretty amazing lengths to try to get some kind of contact out of you. So sometimes um, I work with people that their uh, partner, they've they've left the relationship and the partner found someone that in more than a few cases where they found someone that looked eerily like my client and they would post photos of them with this new partner in all the places that they used to go to with my client. So it's a way to you know, let them know that they're still out there. So block social media because nothing good comes from keeping social media open with this kind of person. They will purposely bait you because they love nothing more than you having contact with them. And when you keep having contact with them, you know, they see there's an open door. So in the beginning, you may just say, you know, stop contacting me. But to them, that's an end. So they don't care if it's negative or positive attention. They just want the attention. They want to know that you're still in what I call rotation. So they will keep their exes in rotation because it's easier for them to get new narcissistic supply, or it's easier for them to get old narcissistic supply than new narcissistic supply. And what I mean by narcissistic supply is they're looking for someone to meet all their needs, which you can never do. You'll never have one person meets all your needs, but, but this person feels like there's got to be someone that fills their needs. So they'll be in a relationship with someone, they'll get bored and they will cheat on a continual basis. They will um, find ways to um, again, you know, keep their exes in contact so they can go back to them. Um, they will check in periodically with their exes just to, you know, say hi. Um, that relationship is never fully over because they want to make sure that they have that person available to them if their relationship ends. That was my experience, just to a T. Mm -hmm. There actually wasn't a lot of blaming me uh, for my behavior. This is why, mm -hmm. I mean, it would be more of things like we're not going here because... 
of something you did, but it wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. like blatantly trying to make me feel bad about myself. However, the outcome was the same because yes, right. there was he was still in contact with like everybody he had ever hooked up with. And so he mm-hmm. was still hooking up with them in our relationship. And so that's where my mm-hmm. self-blame came in and the comparison. Right. And so I just remember right. being like, well, if only I was a little bit thinner or if only I was looked mm-hmm. a little bit more like her. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm in this spiral. But right. it's, it sounds like with toxic relationships, it's one of those things where we just cannot expect closure <laughs> whatsoever, at right. least with help from them. So how do we move on without that closure? Well, sometimes we need to find our own closure. And first I'll say, I really like Gloria Vanderbilt's quote of closure's overrated. There's no such thing as closure. Uh, There are some things that we just don't get that final door shutting on. You'll never probably hear from the toxic person that they're sorry, that they own up to their behavior, because toxic people, particularly narcissists, have what's called the egocentric personality. And that means that they think everyone else has the problem and they're fine. So the chances of them getting help, of them apologizing, are nil to none. So it's really, unfortunately, it's on you to get the closure. So some of that is writing an unsent letter. That could be a very powerful exercise. You know, journaling, uh, you're processing as you're writing. I mean, there's several studies about that, that journaling just in itself helps you get through some emotions and feel your feelings. And we can survive our feelings. And it's important to acknowledge that this is a form of grief. And the grief can be much more intense because when you're on that, toxic relationship cycle of blow up, reconciliation, build up to a fight, blow up, reconciliation. When you're in the fighting phase, your brain and body release adrenaline and cortisol. Cortisol is a stress-producing hormone. And then when you're in the reconciliation phase, then you get dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin. So uh, your brain gets kind of hooked on that loop. So it's almost like an addiction. And you also will have toxic people that will sprinkle in positive reinforcements. So in the middle of being terrible, they will all of a sudden be nice, which again, the brain goes, wait, what is, what? So I'm getting this positive reinforcement, which feels good, but this person is being terrible to me. But it's a way, again, to keep you kind of ensnared. So when you leave that relationship, it can feel like a drug withdrawal. And it's not uncommon that people that are leaving this type of relationship have an increased rate of suicide because your brain is just so hooked on that loop and healthy relationships after that, it can take a while to get adjusted to the fact that a healthy relationship is one where it feels pretty even and there's there aren't a lot of ups and downs. You talk through things. You uh, can agree to disagree and everybody's good with that. You don't have things held over your head. You don't get punished for things. You aren't stonewalled or ignored. Uh, So sometimes I know that people that I I work with, when they find a healthy relationship, sometimes they'll they'll tell me, well, it seems kind of boring. I said, well, you're just not on that toxic loop. (laughs) Okay. So that exactly happened to me. My relationship Mm -hmm. immediately following the toxic one was healthy. I mean, it was he was mm-hmm. one of the until my husband, he was one of the healthier just normal nice guys that I've, I've dated and mm-hmm. and I didn't necessarily think it was boring. I just thought something was wrong because I couldn't feel yeah. that like fiery passion. I was used to mm-hmm. the ups and downs and so I didn't realize this until afterwards, but I would find little things to be upset at or to be mad at just to continue the pattern that I was used to. Right. 
Right. So sometimes there's some sabotage that happens. Yeah. But we do need to listen to that voice. If it's a healthy relationship, but you still have some misgivings, it's really helpful to talk it out with a licensed mental health professional or um, just take a look at, you know, what is it about this that's making me uncomfortable? Am I waiting for the other shoe to drop? You know, am I, am I hypervigilant? Am I looking over my shoulder because I know how the last relationship ended and I don't want that to happen to me. So I'm going to get out ahead of it and I'm going to see if they reject me first because then I don't have the toxic relationship at all. So we really need to look at what our motivation is for doing things. And there's a part of us too that maybe that you are, you grew up in a home where toxicity was normal. That's how you grew up. So it may be that a relationship that's healthy just feels really odd. Like you're wondering, what do they have up their sleeve or what are they planning? They must be in it for something other than just me. They must want something from me. And that happens. I think that's a normal part of healing from a toxic relationship is having a healthy relationship where you just kind of wonder what's going on that this is going so well. When is it going to end? And again, it's really helpful to talk to a mental health professional and journal about it. And again, it may be something related to your family of origin. Yeah, I've found that just challenging and questioning my own thoughts can lead mm-hmm. to some like almost obvious insights, but it's like I needed to go through the process of coming to the conclusion and either writing it down or saying it out loud or just like sitting right. with the thought. And so mm-hmm. that was one of my experiences with that whole cycle where I'm in this healthy relationship. Ultimately, we were not right for each other. So it all worked mm-hmm. out fine. And it was a great stepping stone to like show me you know, guys can be normal and still not work out. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they don't they don't all end up in jail for eleven years, which is what finally did happen to my toxic relationship. But it was difficult. There were I mean, I was still trying to get over this cycle while he was in jail and mm-hmm. he would call me and then he'd call me collect and I'm like, I'm not paying twenty dollars mm-hmm. to receive your phone call. Send right. me letters. One time he had like somebody put money on my doorstep, just weird mind games of like, you're always watching me. I moved. How do you know where I live again? (laughs) So I I always kind of felt on edge and it finally stopped and like seven years into his prison sentence. And and then my closure didn't fully happen until he got out of jail and sent me Mm -hmm. an Instagram message. And it was like Mm -hmm. this long message, but it was one of those things like, so glad you're doing well, blah, blah, blah. Like just speaking how he used to speak where I'm just no, he's just pulling stuff out of his ass. And I, right. I finally wrote back like all the things where I'm just like, do not contact me. I was like, it took me years to realize you are a sociopath. Like I am mm-hmm. doing well now that you are out of my life. Please stay that right. way. And thankfully he did stay that way. So maybe he he did learn something in a jail, rehabbed himself a little bit and, mm-hmm. and finally left me alone. But that cycle, so much of it is like we learn behaviors, whether we grew up in a toxic mm-hmm. household or we were in this for so long and it's pulled so many of our emotions that it's in our nervous right. systems. And so mm-hmm. how do we, we can challenge those thoughts of like, okay, well, why am I expecting things to be tumultuous or why do I, mm-hmm. like, what is boring to me? What am I expecting in a relationship? Mm-hmm. Like those types of things. Is that all we really need to do to unlearn these kind of deeply seated responses or behaviors from such an unhealthy relationship. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. 
but then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com mindlove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash mindlove. Is that all we really need to do to unlearn these kind of deeply seated responses or behaviors from such an unhealthy relationship? I think that's a big part of it is, is look at what our dialogue is towards ourselves because we have this inside chatter in our heads all day long and we really need to listen to that. It is a critical voice saying, you know, why can't you do that? You should be able to do that. You know, you're a failure. And replace that with what What would a best friend say to you? How would you treat your best friend? So we really need to change our inner dialogue because coming out of one of these relationships, you've been told that you're not good enough. And sometimes we carry that or that's been reinforced by parents uh, when you're a child. So it's really important to notice the inner voice you're doing and then change that into something positive. Instead of you can't do it becomes, you know what, I'm going to try my best and that's okay. And it's also really important to remind yourself of what your rights are as a person. You have the right to change your mind at any time. You have the right to say no at any time. You have the right to do less than what's humanly possible. And those rights are very important. There's a really good book called Your Perfect Right by Alberti, A-L-B-E-R-T-T-I. And that book is nice. You can open it to any point, read just a page or two, put it down, open it to another point. And they, he lists all the rights you have as a person. So it's really important to remember those because you've been told in this relationship that those rights don't apply to you or that you're not worth having those rights. So part of it is just re-educating ourselves. And sometimes it could be as something like relearning your likes and dislikes, because you were told your favorite movies and favorite foods were not valid. Uh, so sometimes it's just getting to know yourself again and, and also reconnecting with the people that you may have been isolated from. And that can be difficult. So uh, it can be awkward too. And what I recommend is that people call and just, you don't need to get into details. You can just say, hi, you know, I, I know we haven't talked in a while. I really want to reconnect. And if it's a healthy friend or family member, they usually go, okay, no problem. Come on over. But you are going to find that once you leave a toxic relationship, you're more likely to, to be able to see toxicity in other people. So it may be that someone that you thought was a good friend, you're realizing, oh, they do some of the same behaviors, like the triangulating, you know, where you get somebody in the middle. So so-and-so said this about you. And, and I, you know, I think you have a right to know. You find out, oh, wait a second this friend who I thought was healthy is doing this. So I need to start limiting contact with them, which can be which can be kind of a rude awakening um, to find out that, wait a second, some of the people I thought were healthy in my life are not after you have an experience like this. Now, there's also a, a thing called splitting where you are you know, again, either put on a pedestal or uh, you're lower than dirt. 
And you may find that you have friends and family members that do that. So it's really important for our own healing to, to make sure that the people we do reconnect with are healthy people. And we also need to look at our own propensity for trying to fix stuff. Um, some of us are really good fixers, especially if you're in a field where you are a helping professional, uh, medical field, teachers. You're more likely to see a person as their potential rather than who they are at the time. So you're more likely to see somebody and go, you know what, I can, I can work with this and we can like, you know, I can help him or her achieve, you know, what they should be. And I can, I can help them heal this. And that's where we get into codependency behaviors, where we put someone's needs before our own. And, and the way I kind of describe that is you're setting yourself on fire to keep someone else warm. And I think you mentioned that about your relationship. You know, you're like, I can help this person. And I think that, again, that's a normal reaction that a lot of people have. Uh, and when you end that type of relationship, that role as the fixing person, it can feel really odd and really kind of like you're missing a part of you because you no longer have the fixer role. So I think it's important to acknowledge that as well. And again, you know, mental health counseling uh, can really help you work through some of those issues, especially if you realize that that you, your uh, propensity or your draw towards pathological people goes back relationships-wise or it goes back to your family of origin. It's really important to talk with someone about that. And the difference between talking with a friend about and talking with a, a therapist about is a therapist will kind of point out in real time comments. Like, you know, I'm, I know when you said that, it seemed like, like you started to cry, but it seemed like you stopped yourself. Tell me a little more about that. And that's something that you usually don't talk about with friends. And I think it's really important in therapy that you have someone that kind of mentions stuff in real time to you. So you can kind of observe from an outside lens how you're reacting to things. And, and just being able to talk to somebody that has this confidentiality agreement um, that you can talk about anything. I mean, aside from if you say that you're going to hurt yourself or hurt other people, we have to report it. But other than that, you can talk to someone and, and be assured that that person is not going to share that information. So I think that there are many different things that we can do to heal ourselves and also just taking time to take care of ourselves. You may have been told by a toxic person that any time you took for yourself was being selfish. And it turns out that self-care is essential for us being able to do all the other things we do in life. So we need to take time out for ourselves. And so we really need to reconfigure what we've been told about ourselves and about our rights as people and about what we need to, to be good to ourselves. I'm just nodding along so much because the first thing that comes to mind is just how so often we're in these situations that seem extreme, that we feel like no one's going to understand but so often when you actually lay it out there, when you actually hear somebody else's story or share your own, you realize how identical so many of the pieces are. <laughs> and right. so it's some of the things that came to mind while you were talking is the, the first thing is this all sounds like there's a lot of work to do, which yes, there mm -hmm. is. But at the same time, so many of these things that we're naming on how to heal from a relationship like this are also the exact steps towards building the best life for you. You know, like asking right. yourself questions, figuring out what you actually like and don't like, figuring mm -hmm. out what your boundaries are, knowing what your rights as a human, like these are the things that instill confidence, that set you on a direction, right. that point you toward a purpose. And mm -hmm. th these are all the things that 
I am hoping to instill in my child without the trauma first. (laughs) Not that I can save him from that, but like I remember when I started healing from so many of the things I'd gone through, this was the path I took. And it was really Mm -hmm. making myself my own best friend, which first becomes getting to know myself, not getting to know Mm -hmm. what everyone wants me to be or what society's standards are, what the path to success for most people looks like. It's like, Mm -hmm. what do I want to do with my day? How do, what triggers me? What doesn't like, how can I work on that? Like all of these things. And I remember just thinking, why wasn't I learned this before? It would have saved me so much of this mm-hmm. <laughs> because I would have yeah, had, yeah. yeah. We really don't teach this stuff. And, you know, maybe we should. We should start early talking about self-concept and what gives you meaning in your life. Because, you know, happiness is kind of overrated. It's meaning and it's, it's what's important. Uh, you know, do you have a connectedness to other people or to uh, just the world at large? And one of the things they recommend for people when they get out of a relationship like this is to volunteer uh, because you are working towards a shared goal with other people. You are connecting with hopefully healthy people. Uh, you are having some structure to your time. So let's say you would usually meet with this toxic person every night at six for dinner. Well, if you can do volunteer hours during that, you're less likely to ruminate on what you're missing from that person. And it's just a really good way to just reconnect with people in general. So I, I recommend that. And there's several studies showing that altruism volunteering helps reduce anxiety, depression, even suicidality and increases self-esteem and self-concept. And that's where we really need to work on building this, that self-esteem again, because you had someone that purposely chipped away at it in order to make you more uh, vulnerable to them. And so some of it is just putting in some work, like you said, and, and but the skills you learn in therapy and, and also in other kind of introspective techniques is that it lasts a lifetime that it doesn't go away, the things that you learn, whether that is, you know, I've worked with people that have decided they're going to go on a cross-country trip by themselves and just, you know, go camping the whole time. I've I've worked with people that have done all sorts of things that they figured they were not able to do by themselves. And just being able to conquer something like that on your own uh, makes you realize that, yeah, I, I'm capable. I can do this stuff. Um, so any challenge that you can take on that you weren't really sure you could do and you plan out and succeed, I think that really helps build self-esteem. And, and going back to another point you mentioned, you know, when you have really good chemistry with someone, that can also be a red flag. So, you know, the butterflies can be red flags. And and that's not always fun because, you know, if you have chemistry with someone, your oxytocin's going, your dopamine, serotonin, it feels good. But it really helps to take a step back and go, is this what I want in my life? And one of the things I recommend that people do is, is write down what you're looking for in a partner. You know, we, we tend to look at what we don't want, but we really need to narrow down what we do want. And so I recommend that people write down anything they can think of, you know, likes cats, likes dogs, likes to take walks at sunset, you know, all the things, uh, physical descriptors, get as, get as you know, particular as you want and keep that list somewhere because you know, when you start getting the chemistry and fireworks, you go, oh, you know what? He's an ax murderer, but I can totally work with that. We can like work through that and we can have a good relationship, right? So we tell ourselves all these things that like, this is going to totally work. Even though you find out, you know, you have like five dogs and he doesn't like dogs, but you're like, he's going to learn to like the dogs, you know? So if you find something, you have that chemistry, go back and look at that list you made. And it's a way to get your your logic part of your brain to connect with that list and decide, you know what, is this 
a person I really want to pursue something with. Let me use my rational brain, the brain that hasn't been hijacked by dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin. And let me see if this is really somebody that I want to invite in my life. And to remember the other part of it is, is that vulnerability is earned. Someone earns your vulnerability through their actions, through their behaviors. And and with this type of person with toxic people, it's not what they say, it's what they do. They can talk a really good game of all the things they're going to promise you, like that future faking. But when it comes down to it, what do they do? When you're sick, do they show up and, and try to help you out? Or do they just not even bother calling? And they may say later, well, you know, I didn't want to wake you up, but were they there for you? You know, those are the important things. Because as you get older in a relationship, we're going to need to rely on each other more and more for help on things. Are you able to ask this person for help? How do they respond when you have a need? They may say, yeah, I really care about you, but are they following that up with actions? And that's something to really look at. It's not what they say, it's what they do. I read something recently that said something like, if you... If somebody says, explains the relationship, like the why they like that person as, oh, I don't know, it's just this unexplainable spark, then it's probably a toxic relationship. Uh Like, because if you have a, a really quality relationship of somebody really loving, you have no problem naming all of the qualities. But when somebody can't say like, right. well, he's honest and he's generous and he just puts me first and he does this. And like, I, I don't right. know. It's just this one spark I feel. It's like run. Right. <laughs> right. Because even if you have that spark and you know, research says that that phase of your relationship, let's say it's, let's say it's a reasonably healthy relationship. That romantic phase of the relationship lasts about from about six months to a year. And after that, things start getting real. So keep that in mind that that phase, there's no way that two human beings can keep that up for that long. Um, it's just not possible. I mean, we have to work and <laughs> do other things in life, right? But you know, again, when your brain gets hijacked like that, it's really hard to shut it off. So that's where it, it, you know, a, a reality check of looking at a list of, here's why I'm looking for someone. Here are my items that I do not want to negotiate on. Like must want to have kids, uh, doesn't want to have kids. You know, what are the things that you do not want to bend on? So not only write that list, but you know, star like maybe 10 items of, you know what? This is a deal breaker for me. And stick with that deal breaker. Because what happens is we start kind of moving our boundaries. So if you're with somebody and you realize, well, you know, I don't know, I want to have kids, but he doesn't want to have kids, but maybe he'll change his mind. No, 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 no. If you decide that you want kids and he says, I do not want kids, he's telling you something. So we really need to look at that. You know, as hard as that is to come to terms with that, when we go into a relationship hoping that the person is going to turn into what we want and we have expectations of that, we usually get disappointed and heartbroken. So I also want to mention something else that that people may find that when they first meet someone that's toxic, the toxic person may do what's called trauma dumping, which they will tell you all about their trauma history in great detail. If you tell them, hey, you know, I'm not comfortable knowing that, they will continue. This is different than someone going through trauma and disclosing it. This is someone using uh, stories of trauma to get you to reciprocate in kind. Because what we do as people is if someone does something, we like social reciprocity, we like doing it back. So if someone tells you their trauma history, we're more likely to talk about our trauma. But what a toxic person does is they're not listening to you to build up emotional intimacy in a relationship. They're listening to gain ammunition. So if they ask you things like, what's your darkest fear or what's your biggest regret? 
they will almost guarantee to use that against you in a fight. So if you say, you know what, I don't really talk to my sister anymore. We had a falling out a while ago over something. Guaranteed that person when you fight will say, oh, no wonder your sister doesn't talk to you anymore. She can't stand you either. She knows you're crazy too. So be very careful with how much you disclose in the beginning of a relationship. And again, be wary of people that ask you personal questions like that really early on about fears, about regret. There's time for that later in the relationship if it's a healthy relationship. You don't have to start doing that within the first week or month that you meet somebody. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I remember when I was at the earlier stages of that relationship and actually thinking, there's no way he's sitting here doing all this research on how to like entrap people. And I think that's something that people Mm -hmm. get caught up in when you see the Netflix documentaries about the guy Mm -hmm. who steals an identity and all this stuff. It's like, it seems like they follow such a specific path. Is this something Mm -hmm. that just comes naturally when you have narcissistic tendencies? Or are some of these people uh, like actually doing research on how to manipulate and uh, gaslight people? I think there's different types. So there are some people that grew up with unhealthy parents, toxic parents, whether that was through addiction, through narcissism. And some people pick up those behaviors and they... They think that that's how you're supposed to relate to people because, of course, when we're kids, we look to our parents for this is how adults behave. So someone may call me and say, hey, I've had this history of just relationships not working out and I think it might be me. And usually if someone says to me, I think I might be a narcissist, usually they're not because narcissists, again, tend to have that egocentric personality where they think everyone else has a problem and they don't. So if someone says to me, I think I'm having a hard time with relationships and I'd like to change, that person has a pretty good shot at changing. But you do have people that, what what I call, you know, they're born with with bad wiring um, and they will purposely try to manipulate. So that's where we get into like, um, you see that narcissistic personality disorder, you see that in antisocial personality disorder or sociopathy, where you have someone that knows right from wrong, but they just don't really care that they will manipulate to get what they need from someone. And if you have nothing to offer them, they're done. Uh, So you see someone that can use pretty persuasive tactics to suck you in and they get a dopamine boost from manipulating you. So most of us get a dopamine boost from, you know, playing with our kids or our dog or doing a good job at work, but they get dopamine boost from manipulation, control, successfully kind of swindling someone. So keep in mind that some people, their brains work differently, that they get rewards from things that we don't get rewards from. So either way, whether someone is aware that they're having this behavior and they seek help, or if they were born with bad wiring or have a personality disorder, they are still 100% responsible for their behavior. And you don't necessarily need to stay in the relationship while the person gets help. Uh, So sometimes I, I find that in some relationships, 
The person will say, you know what, for us to stay together, you need to go to therapy. And the person will go to one therapy session and say, oh, the therapist says I don't need to come anymore. Or the therapist says I have a problem, which is usually not something we would say. Um, so it has to be someone going continuously. And I tell people, you don't need to stay together while this person does their work. Therapy is hard work. If you're doing your therapy, you may be tired afterwards. You may need to take a nap later on. I mean, it's hard work. You're you're looking at stuff that you've been doing for decades that you want to change, and it's hard. So uh, if you want to stay with someone through this, uh, consider whether you really just need to do a trial separation while they go to therapy or while they're doing their own work. And then you need to see that there's been some change. I mean, people can change, but they have to want to change. That's the old therapy thing, right? It's like, you know, you know, the therapist, the light bulb, the light bulb has to, has to want to change. How many therapists need to change the light bulb? The light bulb has to want to change. Uh, because people need to come to terms with the fact that they've hit rock bottom or that, that they're doing something that's not healthy for their partner or not healthy for their kids and get help. But other than that, we can't make somebody get better. That's That's not our job. And it can lead to us getting frustrated and the other person getting frustrated too. So it is not our job to fix the only person that has responsibility for fixing themselves is you fixing you and no one else. Yeah, I think the tip you gave on getting really clear about what you want from a relationship is such a powerful step. I actually did that right before I met my husband. And it's mm-hmm. one of those things where it's kind of like when you're like, okay, well, I've decided I'm going to buy a white Tesla and all of a sudden then you see them everywhere. It's like mm-hmm. at first you're like, good men don't exist. But then you lay out all the things and suddenly you are actually able to recognize those things. Whereas I think right. beforehand, before I actually set that intention and like wrote it down, got really mm-hmm. clear, looked at it, then what I was naturally drawn to were all of my old patterns because that's what's mm-hmm. highlighted for me. That's what I'm used to looking at. And so it's right. not just a like, oh, it's hard to find this or I attract these types of people. It's like, I believe that we need to do the work first. Like if I want to make a change mm-hmm. in my life, it's not just about now finding somebody who fits it. It's about what what steps do I need to take to meet that person in a healthy place? Because there's right. likely some healing I need to do after all of this mm-hmm. anyways. And so that writing down what you want is not just a step in potentially finding your future ideal partner. It's a step of getting to know yourself and really learning like, what do I value? Like, what does this have in Mm -hmm. common with my other goals? Like, and figuring out what those top values are so that you have a guiding light for all of the things in your life and not just a relationship. Right. You're kind of throwing it out of the universe. Like, this is what I'm looking for. Or maybe, you know, again, sometimes you write stuff down your list. You're like, you know what? I want to be like that. I want to be more patient. I want to uh, be able to to work out an argument with somebody. I want those things. So yeah, it's a really good exercise. And, and you're one of many people have told me that when they wrote that list out, they found their life partner almost immediately afterwards because you you know the person when you see them and when you get to know them and then you look at the list, you go, uh-huh, they check off every single box. Um, that's happened to people. I mean, and then that's where you look at, well, you know, maybe they they like dogs, but well, they don't they don't like tomatoes. And I really want to be with somebody that likes tomatoes, but maybe that's not such a big deal to me. So then you kind of look at the list and you kind of do hierarchies of things. It could be like if you have kids, you know, bottom line, they have to be loving towards your kids. That's it. That's not negotiable. But stuff like, you know, doesn't 
like sushi or something, that's something that can be negotiable, right? <laughs> so we also have to be a little bit flexible too, but but that list gives you a really good framework because instead of, again, focusing on what we don't want, we need to really look at what are what do we want? And yeah, like you said, that's a really good introspective exercise. And even taking it a little bit further in the respect that like, that can help you figure out which of these things are actually important. It's like, okay, it doesn't like sushi. Mm -hmm. What's the meaning behind that? Like, why is that so Mm -hmm. important? Just because you like to do that that often, it could be a reason that you go out with your girlfriends or whatever Mm -hmm. versus like, why is it so important that they like dogs? Oh, I have three of Mm -hmm. them or it shows me that they can care for another adorable creature. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right, so you go deeper. Yeah, is it that I want them to be nurturing? Like I'm looking for someone that's nurturing towards other living things. Exactly. And so they, if they have a cat, yeah. then maybe their adorable relationship with their cat can, can suffice for that. So again, these are things that can be exciting for anyone listening in that like these are different ways to know yourself more and just to figure out, like put those pieces together of like, okay, this is what my ideal life looks like because it's so easy to wake up and be like, oh, my life isn't what I want it to be. My relationship's not what I want it to be. But it's like, have you ever taken the time to deliver it deliberately figure out what you want your life to be before you start just like being dissatisfied with what you have. Because I think the only way to get from where you are to where you want to be is is that clarity. So we have so much to work with with this episode. Thank you so much for bringing all of your research here. We get this request quite often about toxic relationships. So I know Mm -hmm. that a lot of people are dealing with it. And part of me wonders if maybe social media is just making more people toxic, (laughs) narcissists or something. Why is everyone dealing with it? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So for listeners that are resonating and want to learn more about this, where's the best place to connect with you and find your book? So the book Healing from Toxic Relationships is available at any major bookseller and also stephaniesarkis.com. That's Stephanie with a PH and it's S-A-R-K-I-S. And there's also podcast episodes on there. There are other uh, Psychology Day articles on there. Research is posted. Um, articles that I've appeared in and also podcasts are linked there. So you can find out a whole bunch of other information about toxic relationships, ADHD, and anxiety. All the links to this episode will be at mindlove.com slash x96. Your challenge for this week is to take action. If any of this episode spoke to you, make a plan. Even if that plan first involves hyping yourself up enough to actually take action on the plan. I know that your mental state can make such a difference in what you are willing to do for yourself, for your life, for your kids if they're involved. And so sometimes the first step is getting your mind right. And sometimes the first step is just escaping so you can get your mind right. You know your situation better than anyone. So you likely have an intuitive pull about what you have to do. What I will warn against is making sure that you don't confuse your intuition with your excuses. I did that for way too long. Those excuses can be so convincing, so realistic. Like, oh, this is what's speaking to me. But often, those voices that you're hearing is actually just a regurgitation of all the manipulative things that you've heard over the years. So first ask yourself, is this out of love for myself? Is this what I really deserve? And if what you deserve is anything less than everything, is anything less than love and respect and kindness, then that voice is not your intuition. Your intuition only guides with love. 
And if you need any help or resources, reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. If you'd like to support this show, the best way to do that is by joining MindLove Premium at mindlove.com slash premium. There's going to be some changes coming to premium soon. And soon all of these premium episodes that have been available to you are not going to be. So if you plan on not joining premium, then go ahead and binge all of those because they will not be on the feed that much longer. You can also support by supporting one of my amazing sponsors where you can find them all at mindlove.com slash sponsors or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next time.